0: And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those that say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, who will not be hurt by the second death. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, it is the prayer of your people, Lord, that we would have your spirit working among us. Lord, that you would indeed build up your church. Lord, that you would build her up in her faith, that you would cause her to tremble at your warnings, that you would cause her to take great refuge in your promises. And so, Lord, we do pray for the illuminating power of your Spirit, that we might see what is contained in this passage in your holy word, and Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts, and that you would indeed make us those who are faithful, even unto death. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Most of us are familiar with Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I remember when I was in junior high school, I was reading these very words, and the one little word, all, stood out to me. That it is all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. And I wondered, what type of persecution might I have to suffer in my own life? And perhaps you've wondered before, what type of suffering will God call you to in your life? Well, none of us know what the future holds as far as persecution and suffering, we know that uh, Paul's words are true there in 2 Timothy. And we can see from these seven letters to the churches that certain uh, congregations were suffering more than others. And I think it's true that God calls uh different uh, people to suffer uh, to different degrees. Different churches will suffer to different degrees. And we saw last week the uh, church in Ephesus and how the church in Ephesus was called to be a loving church, to return to their first love. And certainly the church in Ephesus, if they were being faithful, they were going to suffer to some degree for Christ, but it did not reach the threshold of suffering that the church in Smyrna here faces. Uh, The church in Smyrna is facing a, a great deal of suffering, and they're receiving a difficult letter from Christ that their suffering is going to get worse. Their suffering is going to go on. And they're told that some will even suffer and be persecuted unto death. And so this text in Scripture is profitable for us so that we can learn to be faithful Christians in the midst of suffering and persecution, even when suffering for Christ means that we're going to have to pay the ultimate price. And so the doctrine that I would like to put before us this morning is that when facing persecution and suffering, the Christian is called to trust Christ and be faithful unto death. I'll repeat that. When facing persecution and suffering... The Christian is called to trust Christ and be faithful unto death. What we have here in these uh, few short verses, the letter to the church in Smyrna, we've got a three-point outline that we're going to be looking at. In verse 8, we have the the speaker is identified. Verses 9 through 10, suffering. And then finally in verse 11, uh, success. So... Speaker, suffering, and success, verse 8, verse 9 through 10, and verse 11. We'll begin first with the speaker in this letter. Verse 8 tells us, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And we saw and we discussed last week that the, the angel uh, that is being addressed here in this letter, it's the it's the pastor, it's the leadership of the church. So the risen Christ is addressing uh, the leadership of the church. He's giving an evaluation of each of these seven letters, these seven churches, showing where their weaknesses are, showing where their, their strengths are. And so now Smyrna is being addressed. And Smyrna was a city in Asia Minor. It was known for being a very uh, beautiful city. In fact, it had been rebuilt several different times. And so the city itself had experienced uh, many resurrections. And it would be uh, second along the circuit that the letter carrier uh, would be traveling. The letter would have been uh, delivered from John to a letter carrier. First, they would have traveled to Ephesus, second to Smyrna. Making their way around a circuit. And in the uh, opening address here in this letter, the speaker, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, identifies himself, and he's pulling from some of the language that is seen in Revelation chapter one, where there's uh, various attributes that are attributed to the risen Christ. For instance, he's the, the living one in chapter one, verse 18. He's the one who holds the the stars, as we saw from Revelation chapter 2. And here, the risen Christ identifies himself uh, with with two different items. First, we've got the fact that he is the first and the last. Now, for those Christians who knew their Old Testament well, who are well-versed in the writings of the Law, the Prophets, and the Hebrew Bible section of the Writings, Uh, they would have recognized this language, the one who is the first and the last. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, the prophet speaks on behalf of the Lord and says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last, and besides me there is no other God. The risen Christ is alluding to this text and he's saying, uh, the one that the prophet spoke about, that's me. I am the one who was before all creation. I am the one who is eternal. I am the one that you need to be looking to in the midst of your persecution. And not only that, not only am I the eternal God, but I am the one who died, who faced death head on and overcame it. And am now alive forevermore. He came to life, And so as we look at this difficult letter, as we look at suffering Smyrna, these truths would be very, very precious for believers who are walking through a dark time of suffering. Very precious to know that your Savior is the one who is the first and the last. Your Savior is the one who has overcome death and is now alive forevermore. So Christ is calling upon this church walking through a difficult time of suffering. Look to me. Look to me. Let's look next at their suffering, verses 9 through 10. Christ begins with the words, I know. I know. As we saw last week, Christ is the one who walks in the midst of the lampstands, he walks in the midst of the churches. He has intimate knowledge of every single detail that's going on within these congregations. He knows where their weak points are. He knows where their strengths are. He knows their sins that are visible to the community. He knows the sins that are secret. Nothing escapes the gaze of the risen Christ. And he says he knows many things about this church. But if you look at verses 9 through 11, you will see that something is strangely missing when you compare it to the other letters to the churches. Something is strangely missing in this letter to suffering Smyrna that occurs in most of the other letters. And that is, there's no criticism. There's no rebuke for suffering Smyrna. And I think that's that's an amazing fact. Because Christ knows that this church isn't perfect. He knows that it's full of sinners. They're redeemed sinners, and yet they still are not morally perfect in their, in their everyday walk. Christ knows this, and yet there's still no rebuke. Only encouragement. And so this means that He is he's confirming and He's pointing out the fact that He knows they're walking faithfully to the best of their ability. And that it's not necessary to, to bring forth a rebuke. He wants them to know that he is pleased with them. He's pleased with them. He knows their tribulation and their poverty. Christ sees that things are not going very smoothly for the church in Smyrna. They seem to be going through persecutions that weren't uh, affecting some of the other congregations such as Ephesus. And if we do a brief study of the book of Acts, we see that the early church faced persecution primarily from from two different fronts. The church could face persecution from the Roman Empire and from unbelieving Judaism who was persecuting uh, the church. Now, the Roman Empire wanted those who were uh, living within its bounds, who were part of the empire, they wanted all of their subjects to be in in full submission to the government. Well, there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. In fact, we're told in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, in Peter's letter, that we are indeed to be those who are upstanding citizens, those who are in submission to the government, so long as they are not commanding anything that goes against the word of God. So that's that's a good thing. And yet, uh, in the early church, Rome every once in a while would require something that went above and beyond simply uh, submitting. Rather, they wanted the emperor to be called Lord. Caesar is Lord, is what they wanted the, the Christians to say. And the Christian can't do that. The Christian is not able to treat the government or any leader, as if they are God, as if they are the ultimate reality. They cannot do that. And so that could lead to some trouble for the early Christians. Judaism in the early first century was treated by Rome as a religio licita, that is, a legal religion, and they were afforded some protections that perhaps other, other people would not be given. Uh, they were not required to worship the emperor, to offer sacrifices to him. And early on, Christians had a, a, a bit of a cover because they were treated as a, an offshoot, as a sect of, of Judaism. But as time went on, it became clear that Christianity was its own thing, and then later on with the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the separation was final. And so Christians would not have that, that type of cover. But even prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, it would be very easy for unbelieving Jews to throw Christians under the bus, if you will. For instance, in Acts chapter 14, we read about how the Jews poisoned the minds of the Gentiles and the rulers Against Christians, with the hopes that Christians would be harmed. They were speaking evil things about Christians, slandering them in attempts to get them into trouble. And it appears that this same thing is happening with the church in Smyrna. If you look in verse 9, you see that one of the things that Christ knows is that these unbelieving Jews are slandering the Christians. It says, the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This is very strong language, calling these people a synagogue of Satan. And yet, this is very similar language to what Jesus used during His earthly ministry in John 8, chapter 44. Where Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees and they were claiming to have God as their father, and yet, what did Jesus say? He says, God's not your father. Your father is Satan, your father is the devil. You do not truly belong to God. It is strong language, and yet it is true. So the Jews were likely making accusatory comments to the Christians or of the Christians to the local authorities, trying to identify them as a threat to Rome. And this, this type of situation shouldn't be too hard for us to imagine. Uh, many of us are aware that there are countries and places uh, where you can get into a great deal of trouble simply for being a Christian, simply for seeking to speak the truth and love to a lost and dying world. There are places where you can get arrested for reading certain portions of the Scriptures. You can be arrested and thrown into prison for preaching the Gospel. You can be arrested even for lovingly trying to warn people about the terrors of hell and the need to flee to Christ. And even today, if you're not careful, you can find yourself behind bars. And if a, if a church or group of Christians is identified as a hate group, as those who are a threat to the government, you can imagine how difficult it would be to try to hold down a job within the community. It seems that's where the saints in Smyrna were at. They were suffering for the gospel. They were facing poverty, not because they were foolish or lazy, it's because they were being faithful. And the type of poverty that we have here mentioned in verse verse 9 is not the type of poverty where the the family is sitting around deciding whether or not they're going to have enough uh, to go on that extra vacation. It's the type of poverty where you're probably going to have to go to bed hungry because you can't even put food on the table. It is poverty in its most serious sort. And yet Christ knows their poverty, and he is pleased with their faithfulness. And in this difficult letter, what we have is some bad news, bad news for these Christians. We can first read about some bad news in verse 10, where the risen Christ says, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. If the government really believes that these Christians are a threat, they're going to be placed into prison. In the the, uh, Roman Empire, when you're thrown into prison, they typically would not throw you into prison just to confine you for a long time. But rather, you're thrown into prison because you're waiting for something. You're waiting for your trial. You're waiting for your execution. And so Christ tells these Christians... They're going to be thrown into prison. It's going to be done by the devil. How how is the devil going to throw these Christians into prison? Well, it's going to be by the agency of unbelieving people. By the agency of unbelieving people. But it is the, the devil who is behind this, who is attacking Christ's church. So they'll be thrown into prison. And if this news is not bad enough, Christ comes out and tells these Christians directly that it's not going to end well for some of these believers. They're going to be in prison. They're going to be tested for ten days and have tribulation. And they need to be faithful unto death because He's telling these believers, you're going to go into prison. And once you go behind those bars the only way that you're going to be coming back out is for your execution. This is going to be the end. And so the Christians in Smyrna are going to truly suffer for the sake of Christ. And so the question arises, this, this is pretty grim, how are these Christians going to be successful? Let's look at verse 11 and address how it is that these Christians are going to be successful even in the midst of suffering. From the text, we can see that they can be successful even in the midst of suffering three different ways. They can suffer with a purpose. They can suffer with trust. And they can suffer under death. Suffering with a purpose, these believers need to know that the suffering that they are about to experience is not meaningless. It's not something that was unforeseen, but rather it is under the sovereign hand of Christ. And that there is a purpose to it. If you look, you can see in verse 10 that they're going to be thrown into prison that you may be tested. That you may be tested. That is one of the purposes for their suffering. And as we read in James chapter 1, we are encouraged and exhorted by James that when the Christian faces suffering and trials, They're to count it joy. They're to count it joy and they're to face it with faith, knowing that the Lord will even use that trial to conform them further to the image of Christ. That apart from that trial, they would not be the type of Christian that they need to be. And so they're going to be tested. Their faith is going to be matured. They're going to be Uh, Revealed as those who truly belong to Christ and are worthy to suffer for His name. And they also need to be encouraged that this will only be for a a definite amount of time. The text says ten days. And you're probably aware that in the book of Revelation, numbers are are very symbolic. The ten days here is the, the full amount of time, the necessary amount of time in order for these Christians to be matured and molded and and glorify Christ. So they can suffer with a purpose. They can suffer with trust. Being brave in the midst of this death sentence. Christ tells these suffering Christians that they are to not fear. They are not to fear. And the way that they're going to face this without fear is looking to the one who is the first and the last. Looking to the one who has already faced death. Looking to the one who has already gone before them and been faithful unto death, even death of a cross. And so they are not to fear it because they know that it will be used by their Lord. And then finally they are to suffer unto death. Some of them are not going to return. This is going to be it. But Christ wants His people to be faithful and push hard all the way to the finish line. If you've ever watched the uh, Olympic sprinters or any of the Olympic runners for that matter, you know that it is so important for them not only to start the race well, to come out of the blocks fast, but to maintain that all the way through the finish line. How many times have you seen a runner, perhaps they quick look behind them to see whether or not there's somebody right on their tail, and then they lose the race. Athletic games were also common in the ancient world. And very often uh, we have in Scripture uh, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the Christian race the Christian life as running a race such as in 1 Corinthians 9.25 where he says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a, a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. In the ancient world, the the victor of some of these athletic games it would be crowned with the the leafy laurel wreath, the crown of victory that would be placed upon their head. And they would be exalted in front of all of of the people. And yet if you came back just a month or so later and you looked at that wreath, it would be withered. It would be gone. It would perish. Christ promises to these believers that are going to suffer unto death that they will receive a crown. And it is not a crown made out of leaves. As he says in the text, it is a crown of life. It is eternal life that will be given to all of those who push hard unto the finish line and are faithful all the way to the finish line. He himself promises that even though these believers die, even though they experience uh, an excruciating time in prison and perhaps a horrible execution, he himself will crown them and they will live with Christ. They will live with Christ and his church and they will never again experience pain and they will never see what scripture refers to as the second death. He tells these believers in verse 11 the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Second death is seen again in Revelation chapter 20 it is it is hell. It is separation from the favorable presence of God. It is experiencing the full wrath of God without a mediator. Believers will never have to experience this. But rather, when their time for death comes, what will happen is their body will die. Their soul will be separated from it and it will immediately be with Christ as we await the resurrection. And so if you are a believer, you have no need to fear. No need to fear death. And yet, the second death is real. And so if you are hearing these words this morning and you are not a believer and you do not belong to Christ, you have so much to fear in the second death. There is no end. It is the unmediated wrath of a holy God burning against a sinner. And so flee from it. You can still flee to Christ even now. There was a man in the early church by the name of Polycarp. Perhaps you've heard of his name before. And Polycarp was a bishop. He was Bishop of Smyrna. And he he lived after the time of the writing of this letter. His death was on February 23rd, uh, 155 A.D. And he was martyred. He was killed because of his faith. He was killed because he refused to renounce his faith and curse Christ. He was actually given the opportunity to be released, to not have to face any suffering, and you can read about this in, in several different sources, but the account of his death goes as this. The, the proconsul urging him and saying, Swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. And Polycarp declared, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has never did me injury. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? Polycarp was saying, My Savior has been faithful to me for these 86 years. I will therefore be faithful to Him unto death. And that is exactly what happened. He was indeed faithful unto death. My guess is He treasured the words that we have here in this letter to Smyrna. That He internalized them, took them to heart, so that when the time came, for him to make the decision, will I reproach Christ and live or will I die and live with Christ? The answer was easy. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? I'll close with two points of application for us this morning as we close out our exposition of suffering Smyrna. First, do not despair if you are facing loss for your faithfulness to Christ. Do not despair if you are facing loss for your faithfulness to Christ. Because faithfulness to Christ can cost money. It can cost us social standing. It can even cost us our dearest relationships with our mothers and fathers, with our brothers and sisters, with our close friends, There may come the time where we have to choose between Christ and something else. And the loss might be very, very dear. Do not despair of that. Know that Christ is able to repay you richly in eternity for anything that is lost here upon this earth. The second point of application for us all is be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. And that will look different for different believers. Some believers are going to, fortunately, be able to live their lives and they will be promoted to glory without ever having to suffer anything that would be categorized as uh, severe and great suffering. Excruciating pain, loss of relationships, all that. If that is your situation, praise Christ. Praise Christ that He allows you to to pass into glory without severe severe persecution. Others may be called to remain faithful to Christ as you see your health decline. As one doctor's visit after another seems to go downhill and it seems that your freedom is being taken away and you slowly continue to, to decline all the way to your death. Be faithful to Christ unto death even in that situation. And know that He can richly repay you for that time of suffering. And then others may be called to sacrifice greatly. Uh, Perhaps, can't be sure, but if persecution were to break out in this country, if we were ever called upon to uh, suffer for Christ here in America... We may have to walk through severe times and we may have to make some difficult decisions. Be faithful to Christ even in that. Trust Christ that He is able to see you through the most difficult times and trust Christ that He will richly repay you and ultimately that He Himself will crown you with the crown of life. Look to Him who is the one who is the first and the last, the one who died and now lives forevermore amen let's pray father we do thank you for this letter that you have given to your church not only to the church in Smyrna but that you have also kept and preserved so that we might too read it and respond in faith lord we ask that you would make us a a church that is willing to suffer well for our lord jesus christ And Lord, that we would be faithful unto death, whatever our circumstances. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.